Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to the latest edition of Extra Time. I'm Clay Wilson and joining me on the podcast this week are Hamish Bidwell, Alice Soper, Felicity Reid and Susie Bates. The Breakers broke new ground for their club this week when they announced a female assistant coach. Chanel Pompelia is not the first female to coach in the Australian National Basketball League, but she has become one of the few women coaching at the elite level in New Zealand. So why is this the case? Sonia Bolland is the project manager of the Women in High Performance and Sport Pilot. She says the system is failing the country's top female coaches and hopes Pompelier's appointment at the Breakers will make other sports take notice. There's no shortage of talented, inspiring female coaches in New Zealand, but there is a failure in the system at the moment to support them to succeed in those roles. And appointments like Chanel's by the Breakers today is really critical to raising the visibility of female coaches, but also challenging the stereotype of what it means to be an elite coach in New Zealand. So Sonia Bolland says there's failures in the system when it comes to female coaches' felicity. You spoke with her and put a story together on this. What do they believe those failures actually are? Well, they've identified some of the failures that women face just across business that are not unique to sport. So they're institutionalised things. Some of the things around women as well, that they're working in sort of voluntary or part-time coaching roles and they lack the pathways to go further through. And there's discrimination, well, perceived discrimination at the appointments level as well. They don't really know how many women are applying for jobs, but there is dis- discussion and research around what, who's on the panel and those types of things around trying to get more women recruited into actually wanting to even apply to be an elite coach. But one of the things that they did find that's quite interesting and unique to the sporting environment is the investment in women's sport by High Performance Sport New Zealand has seen fewer women actually involved in coaching because as more money has been invested, women's sport has become professionalised and men have taken these roles instead and opted to see this as a stepping stone to the next point in their own coaching career. So this has removed some of the women who potentially could have gone on to elite roles have been, I guess, sidelined within the um, coaching ranks within New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Talk about stereotypes. Is is that something that's quite big here about women just not being viewed perhaps in some circles as being capable or you know, without without actually people looking at this the stuff, it's just simply a, a stereotype issue as well? Yes, a lot of their research has brought that up as well, that women are often criticized more heavily than men in terms of their coaching roles and their definitely perceived in a different way, scrutinized or maybe just not even seen to be fit for the job. Alice Hamish, any thoughts on why there is such a shortage of female coaches at the top level in our sports in New Zealand? 
Yeah, I've got a couple of things to say on this. One is, uh, I guess, identifying also whether this breaker's appointment is a little bit of a glass cliff situation. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the terminology, but it's something essentially in the business world and also the political world they talk about a lot, where sometimes women are brought in, but it's generally during a crisis point where, you know, the the organisation themselves can get big ups for being progressive, but the woman is in kind of a lose-lose situation because chances are it's going to be a short short tenure because things are kind of in a, a bit of a transition and not a, not a strong and stable position um, and so you know they're kind of set up for failure in a lot of respects and then when they do fail they are then the reason that that happens and you know you see what's been going on at the breakers in the last you know, 18 months. It hasn't been good news stories out of there for them. I'm stoked that she's got this opportunity and I, I hope that she gets every chance to actually, you know, make her mark on it. But I can't help but think that it's maybe a bit of a poison chalice for this appointment. I mean, talk about female athletes as well. Um, they're doing well, but why hasn't this perhaps translated to coaches? Is there anything else <laughs> yeah. going going on in terms of you know, you see a lot of male athletes transition to coaching. Mm. So why, why is this not perhaps happening at, at the coaching level for women? Yeah, well, look, it's, it's a frustrating thing. You know, I was just um, having a chat with someone the other day because we're coming up to, uh, it's, it's 30 years of men recognising women's rugby in this country. And I will make an emphasis of saying recognising. We've been playing a lot longer than that, but it's been <laughs> recognised by men since 1990. Now, we've got, uh, at the moment, in the FPC, which, you know, we've got no um, uh, women that are uh, coaching our Black Ferns outfit, but in the FPC, we've got three women that are in the assistance coaching team. So you've got Davida White and uh, Anna Richards and Amy Satorius, all Black Ferns themselves, but apparently only good enough uh, for an assistant role. And that's incredibly frustrating. I mean, Anna Richards, who's more qualified than her mm. uh, to be taking a team? Um, and I think a lot of that, it's it's an interesting thing, I, and I, I would be uh, interested for your take on this, Susie, because I'm obviously talking about from a rugby's perspective, but here I think we've got a couple of things happening at once um, as well in terms of um, boundaries for us, you know, and things we're hitting up against because it's it's gendered but it's also cultured. So we've got issues with women that maybe don't think um, of themselves in that way, maybe don't think of their knowledge or uh, you know, putting themselves forward, but then also you've got issues around you know culture and what our role is. A lot of the time, women, if they've been playing, have been putting the rest of their lives on hold. They've been holding off you know childcare things like that. And so, as soon as they're retired, that's their opportunity to do it. You've also got um, you know, in, in my sport in particular, it's a lot of Maori Pacific Island. They're generally quite involved in the community already. They're giving themselves in lots of different ways. But also, you're then asking them to go against kind of cultural norms and go against their uncles and their dads and take their spot. Like there's lots of things at play all at once uh, that are that are you know causing those barriers there. But also you've just got the situation where nobody's asking. You know, I, I keep on telling people, and I say it on this uh, podcast how many times I still haven't had Wellington Rugby talk to me. 31, okay? I'm 31 years old. I've only got another couple of uh, seasons in me. I look around the rest of the clubs in my city. There are a number of us that played secondary schools together. If you ask how many of us have got our coaching certs, I think at the moment it's zero. I'm about halfway to my level, uh, halfway through my level twos, and I'm there with you know a whole bunch of other dudes. They roll their eyes when I get up to show them how to pack down for a scrum correctly. Well, you know what, boys? I probably played in one more recently than you, um, and probably have a better idea of what I'm doing. But it's still the eye roll and the uh, they don't make you feel welcome in the space. Is the long and short of it. Susie, what's your experience and what's your take on this? I mean, you've had obviously had Heidi Tiffin, the former coach of the White Ferns as well. 
Yeah, I was thinking about basketball when you were talking about the breakers and I remember when I was growing up I had pretty much all female coaches but it was very amateur and all through the age groups it was always female coaching net basketball teams but never at the tall fans level was it a female, it was always a male that took the head coach role and I think with cricket um, that we had Hayley Tiffin for four years and Katrina Keenan before that and I think... Um, when the athletes haven't been able to be professional while they were playing, they often, you know, in their spare time, they're working, they don't have the mm. time to do all those courses. So I think that may change in the next five, ten years with women's cricket in particular. Now that the girls are full-time athletes, um, they have the ability during their career perhaps to do the coaching courses. Um, and when they finish, they see it as a real viable career, whereas... I think 10 years ago, people weren't really seeing coaching as a viable career for women in New Zealand. And I think globally that's really changed. And the um, franchise teams in Australia and England have seen a lot more female coaches who, as mm-hmm. soon as they've finished, realised there was a profession in coaching for women as well. So I, I'm pretty positive about it. And I feel like in women's cricket, it is slowly changing, although we've got a lot of male coaches at the moment. I think once professional players finish playing um, there'll be a lot more that go into coaching and start taking the women's when, when you're looking at resource coaching, I think that that's a, a key thing in terms of pathways in, and it's one of the most frustrating things that I see at the moment. You know, within our pride setup, and, and God bless our coaches because I don't think they get paid, or if they do, it's peanuts. But you know, when we need um, some extra support, you know, classic is at the moment. You know, our Type Five could use some scrum work, and when we're looking around for who's the resource coach to pull in there, well, you've got Serena Curtis, who's been coaching um, club men for a number of years, played for New Zealand in both league and um, Union played prop for New Zealand and why aren't we asking her to come in and work with our women and it's frustrating that um, but I think it also speaks to kind of the old boys thing right like if I'm thinking hmm who am I going to call up to help me take a tackle session I'm going to think about players I've played with I'm going to think about Marianne Collins and people like that whereas if you've got a man in role he's just probably going to think about who he knows and chances are that's another dude. Hamish, what are, what are your thoughts on this area? I mean, do you think we're slow here in New Zealand compared to other parts of the world, or is there any particular reason why this might be happening? Uh, it would be um, presumptuous and arrogant of me to make any comment on things from a female perspective and the challenges they might face and the impediments and the slights and all that kind of thing. But I would say that I found that whole thing with the um, high-performance New Zealand study thing just to G up. Like, um, it was just such broad-brush generalisations that anyone could make without actually wasting time on a study and if there had been some specifics in there Mm. and a series of coaches who were this well qualified and had this much experience but were denied opportunities and I would go hey that's really interesting and that's really um, frustrating and that's really embarrassing and we need to do better but while it's just feel good stuff and just broad brush I just I roll my eyes and I think I don't know why that person bothered to speak up. Did you get anything Felicity like that? from talking to high performance sport and talking to Sonia was there anything that came out of that number wise or was it was it more just the sort of general reasons for why they think this is happening they had interviewed a number of people but like you say it is quite general responses and maybe that is because it is general feeling across women and maybe that is what they're all feeling and it probably comes out generalized in the end what about the um, gender of a coach i know you spoke to Sonia as well about does it matter I mean, are the qualities of a coach different? Are female coaches different to male coaches in any way? 
Well, what Sonia was saying is that the gender of a coach doesn't matter. I think a lot of the qualities that you find in a good coach aren't necessarily gendered. And like she was saying, it was knowledge of sport or ability to communicate with a team that was more important than perhaps the gender that they were. See it, be it is what I would say to you on that because I just can't I can't buy that. I think about how important and how formative it was for me that my first coach was a female coach um, and she was my sports coordinator and she was the one that saw that actually I was wasting my time a bit at school and she was the one that pulled me down to the local club and she was the one that encouraged me to more and she did that because she had a growth, growth mindset because she knew the challenges that were facing our sport and I think that that's one of the most classic things I get with all the men that have coached me is they they have no understanding of what it is to be a female player in our sport that's male-dominated. Having women that understand women, just language, just basic language. I think, you know, things like classic is um, when you're going in a ruck and a, a general thing a guy will say is balls over ball. Well, we don't have balls, and so that's a useless thing to say to a team of women. <laughs> well, it's certainly very a very interesting talking point, so we'll see how things pan out. Hopefully, like you say, Alice, uh, on a good note with Chanel there at the Breakers. Moving from basketball to cricket now in the T20 Women's World Cup will wrap up on Sunday when hosts Australia face India in the final at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Unfortunately for New Zealand, their chances were ended with defeat to the Australians in their final group match. Now, Susie, you've had, a, I guess, a few days to digest that result and, and sort of being knocked out of the tournament. How are you feeling about the campaign in general and not being able to be part of that final on Sunday? Yeah, obviously it was hugely disappointing to finish on Monday when we were pretty determined to make it to the semi-final because it has been a while but in saying that I thought we did probably play our best game on Monday it was probably the first game of the tournament against India that we were more disappointed after um, I don't think we quite hit our straps when we needed to and that, that cost us the place in the semi-final but um, yeah look it is what it is and we prepared as well as we could have. We had a good series in the build-up and um, we just weren't able to beat Australia and India, which has turned out to be the finalists. And now I can, I'm still in Australia and um, I'm pretty excited to see how many people turn out on Sunday because there's talks of the MCG being sold out for a women's cricket match, which although I'd love to be a part of it, it's still going to be um, a pretty cool day as a female cricketer. To what extent, Susie, do the sort of, I wouldn't say failures is the right word, but the repeated disappointments at Pinnacle events, do they weigh on players individually and as a team? Do you talk about them? Are they impediment? Is, is there anxiety when you play, things like that? Yeah, we have we have touched on it as a group, um, not just this tournament, but other tournaments and how we get through that, that group stage because um, it has been a little bit of... There has been a lot of history with that and um, yeah, we've sort of been known as a team that at pinnacle events we can't quite perform when it really counts And but we have had um, mental skills coaches around the team or individuals seeking that themselves. Um, yeah, I felt like this tournament um, it wasn't so much the nerves and anxiety, I just think we weren't quite clinical enough against spin and against the slow bowlers and um, Georgia Wareham on Monday, her leg spin Took, she took three key wickets and against India we weren't able to score off their spinners so I, I think it was probably more um, tactical and technical than mental this tournament but it's definitely something leading into our home World Cup we, we're really going to have to work on because I think if we don't make the semi-finals it's going to be seen as a, as a failure that's the, that's the place we need to be and the potential we have is to be in the semi-finals at all these tournaments 
What about the build-up? You had a series against South Africa. The one, the one days weren't so good, but the T20s, you cleaned them up completely. But you hadn't played for so long together. I mean, player for player, you stand up individually as, as, as fine cricketers. But when you don't get to play together as a team on a regular basis, how difficult is that? Yeah, it's been a real shame actually the last 12 months. I'm not I'm not 100% sure of the reasons why we haven't played. Um, a little bit to do with scheduling, probably a lot to do with budget. But yeah, it felt like we started the one-day series so slowly. We hadn't played a lot of one-day cricket. Um, and then we sort of got into things with the, the 2020s. But um, I think the more we can play together, the better off we're going to be. And especially with 50-over cricket, I think it does look like we've got a lot more games this year leading into that home world cup um we've got australia um, england and india coming to us before the tournament we go to sri lanka and i think there's a series against australia so we've got the three three of the top teams we've got 50 over cricket against so hopefully come next year and the world cup there's no excuse in terms of preparation by and large though without getting you in trouble with anyone do you feel that new zealand cricket give the white ferns the best chance to succeed as a team um I feel like it, it has improved and I feel like we have now got the budget and resource um, to take us that step further. Um, just the fact that 15 players can pretty much spend most of their time training their skills and doing their fitness, I think we've seen um, the impact that's had on the likes of um, Maddie Green and Katie Martin who before this tournament have been you know, part-time cricketers and part-time workers. Um, I do think the scheduling hasn't helped us out and if we were really serious about um, this World Cup, we would have been playing a lot more cricket together. So I think there are things in terms of giving us the absolute best chance at these pinnacle events, which are still, compared to the Black Caps, I don't think we quite get right yet. And hopefully we've now got a new high performance manager and with Bob in charge and understanding what it takes to being at those top four teams, I'm hoping this year um, we do get that right. Because some people will look at this in isolation and see that you didn't, again, get out of the group, and they'll go, oh, well, why are they wasting money on the White Ferns? As you see, they always fail. But the flip side is you weren't given the opportunity to succeed, were you? You weren't given the preparation that a team needs to perform well at a pinnacle event, were you? Yeah, potentially. I, I think, you know, this, this year in South Africa did help us. Um Unfortunately, as well, for whatever reason, the pools we seen through the last two World Cups have been in the toughest pool. Um, and, you know, although we can still beat India and Australia, it has made life more difficult to get through to the next stage. Um, but, yeah, there, I guess there are two sides. I think as a player, um, I sort of reflect on it and still think we could have done better as individuals. So I feel like for this tournament, New Zealand cricket's perhaps not to blame, but in the past we haven't prepared as well as we could have. Just to finish up, Susie, looking forward, you mentioned about that Women's World Cup here in New Zealand and obviously the, the increased resource and professionalism around the game for you guys. So how do you use that? What are the big things to try and focus on? Is there anything that really needs to be addressed? What would you like to see this team focusing on as you move forward towards that Home World Cup? Yeah, I well, first and foremost, I think we just have to play more 50-over cricket together as a side. Um Look, whereas a number of players that play a ton of cricket year-round and get plenty of opportunities, but actually playing together as a union and, and working on our tactics as a team, I think um, the first key issue, I think playing spin as a group um, is a real work on our, our top order and middle order. I think if we can start playing the spinners a lot better, um, we're going to be more successful. I think fitness in general as a group, if um, we can get 
fit in the next 12 months, that's always going to help. And I think our fielding's really improved, so if we can keep working on that, train a lot more together, play a lot more together and just push each other to, you know, make each other even better than we are and, and not relying on other competitions to make individuals better. Well, I guess while the White Ferns have been uh, doing their thing at the T20 World Cup and the other teams as we move towards that final, the Black Caps were playing as well this week and wrapping up the second test against India in pretty comprehensive fashion. Um, no doubt a very good performance, and we touched on it last week to turn things around from Australia. But both series perhaps also an example of just how big home advantage is becoming when it comes to test match cricket, the longer form of the game. Um, anyone feel free to chime in here. Uh, are away test wins... Um, the difference between between good teams and great teams, and are we we seeing that that's becoming increasingly difficult to win away from home? That's just a a big factor for any team, no matter how good you are. That's what separates the, as you say, the average or the good from the great. And we didn't have a replay of New Zealand's nineteen eighty five eighty six series in Australia earlier in, a couple of months ago because it was you know by accident. It's because it's a historic moment in New Zealand cricket, like. You have to utilise your advantages. And I, I know people think it was really green at Hagley and far out when you turned it on, it was really green. But it was compelling cricket. I found it the most absorbing test match I'd seen for ages. I, there was something on every ball. I think cricket um, has gone too far in terms of weighting things in favour of the batsman. And I thought it was fantastic to see um, the bowlers in the ascendant. And I think it makes for better cricket and more challenging cricket and more absorbing cricket. And I felt as a cricket enthusiast that was, as I say, some of the best I'd seen. I, if India had been able to prevail, and they could have, you know, they went into that third day, I thought with the, the honours pretty even. If they, their tail had a wagged, New Zealand would have, been able to, would have been struggling to chase 200. So I think it was a match that was set up for both teams. Ultimately, New Zealand won, but I don't think that should... Um, lead to any criticism of the conditions because I thought, as I say, they were they were really good for cricket. Mm, I tend to agree. Susie, you're an all-rounder, so you like a, a bit of both. What's your take on this in terms of, of wickets and how they're becoming or how they are, especially when it comes to test match cricket? Yeah, like, although we don't play test match um, cricket, I think that's you know, the, that's the best part of cricket is that everywhere you play there's different conditions and it's mm. how you adapt and Look, we go to India and you know there's not going to be a lot of pace on the ball and it's going to turn and you have to train and prepare to play that. And if you can do that successfully, you beat India in their, in their hometown and when they come here, they know it's going to swing and seam and be a bit of extra bounce, which they're not used to. So it comes down to how they prepare and um, that, that's exactly right, that you get the home advantage and if you're good enough to make use of it, you still have to be able to swing the ball in New Zealand and... If India, um, you know, weren't good enough to combat that, then I think that that's what cricket's all about, and it's going to continue like that. And I do think there needs to be a balance between bat and ball, and in New Zealand, you generally get that. Mm. Part of the essence of cricket, isn't that um, that ability to win away and the difference of conditions around the world? So the Black Caps are going to go back to Australia this time for ODIs. How do we feel they're placed? They've got a bit more confidence under their belt now, having performed well in the tests and the one days against India, but they're going back to a place where last time they were things didn't go well. How do we feel this three-match series is going to go, Hamish? As sport for sport's sake, I think um, I like sport when I feel there's something on it. These games are on to fulfil some contractual obligations and some TV deals, and um, for me, they just basically have, have no relevance. I mean, I'll, I'll tune in if it's convenient with my life, and I wish the team all the best, but... Um, 
Oh, it's not appointment viewing for me. No, these are just this. This is why there's match fixing in sport because you put on games. I'm not saying these games are going to be fixed at all, but <laughs> obviously, when you put on Mickey Mouse games that don't count for a trophy, that aren't qualification for something, there's no promotion relegation, it's just a game for game's sake. That's where things start getting a bit murky. So, um, yeah, good on them for going, but they had a trip to Australia, they bottled it, and this trip counts for nothing. Okay. Felicity, leaving the, the merits of that aside, how do you feel the Black Caps might go in this series? Back to a full-strength team, it's probably good for them to get another hit out at this time of the season as well. It kind of helps going into future games, even if, like Hamish says, there's not much lying on this. It's still part of that memories of Australia, and if we can leave that with a better feeling when we have to go back when something is on the line, maybe it will help some of those players who have been involved and are involved now. Okay, we'll watch that with interest as it pans out. Thanks, guys, for all your time today. I appreciate the discussion. New Zealand shot putter Tom Walsh admits to have been a little frustrated with how his season has gone so far, but he's hoping to make amends at this weekend's National Track Championships in Christchurch. Walsh will be attempting to win his 11th National Senior title tonight. He should get some competition from fellow international Jack O'Gill, but he is in doubt following a recent injury. Walsh would have headed off to China next week to defend his world indoor title, but that was postponed because of the coronavirus. Walsh told Barry Guy that's probably played a part in his current form. Well, I'm a little bit frustrated about the season for sure. It probably hasn't quite gone to date the way I wanted it to. A little bit down on some distance, but but with uh, obviously world indoors being taken out of the picture a few months ago, you know that's taken a bit of sting out of sting out of the season and kind of is has, uh, I guess, given us a bit more time to get ready for the Olympic Games. So the uh, postponement of the world indoors, has that sort of taken a, a bit of an edge off mentally or something, do you think? Yeah, I think for sure. I think anyone who's, who is in any type of sport knows the feeling, you know, going into a major competition, whether it's the Cricket World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, you know, the Rowing World Cup, whatever it is, that just adds a little bit, a little bit extra and... Uh, it has just, you know, without a doubt, taken a little bit off it, but I'm not trying to use it as an excuse. Uh, and I still am trying to go out there and throw as far as I can. But I'm feeling pretty good uh, about my chances this weekend with, with throwing, and uh, things are slowly starting to come together, which is nice. So is Jacko competing at the Nationals? Last night, 30 years, yes. So that's going to give you some of that competition you're keen on? Oh, uh, for sure. Jacko, I think, doesn't probably get the uh, kudos he deserves, you know, me, both him and I have been in the last three World Championships finals together, which is a hell of a feat for, for a country like New Zealand to have two guys uh, in the top eight in the world last three finals. So he's getting better and better every year, and, you know, any competition uh, he brings to the table is, is good. So would you like to see some uh, improvement in some way of previous events that you admit have, have been a little bit disappointing? Yeah, look, in the previous events, I've, I've, had a lot, I've had a lot more horsepower than what I've used to. You know, all my numbers in the gym are, uh, well, not all of them, but most of them are definitely uh, around PBs, um, and if not higher. So, you know, that means I've got a lot more horsepower in the circle, uh, and, I, and I haven't probably quite come to grips with it. I haven't uh, been, been able to get all the power through the shot in a straight line. You know, I've probably been leaking a bit of energy, but... Uh, Saying that, I, I feel like you know this week uh, is, I've had some really good throw sessions, some some throw sessions that 
you know, that are feeling really nice and, and, and the shots starting to pop off the hand. So, so that's generally a good sign. Tom Walsh there speaking to Barry Guy ahead of this weekend's National Athletics Championships in Christchurch. And that's all we have time for on this week's edition of Extra Time. Thanks again for joining us, and thanks again to Hamish, Alice, Felicity and Susie Bates for joining me on the programme. We'll catch you all next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.